This is a Crestview Bible Podcast. For more information, visit crestviewhutch.org. If I asked you to name a fast food slogan, do you got one? So we, we have all these, they specialize in slogans almost in the fast food world. Um, KFC, we remember that one? It's finger licking good. Finger licking good. And some of you, your mouth just started salivating because you want those blends of herbs and spices. McDonald's, I'm loving it. Um, when you order on the app, it actually just goes ba da 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 da. You know, it just gives you that when you've hit the order button. Um, I've heard. I, um, Subway, Subway, their marketing campaign is eat fresh, and there's nothing like, you know, someone just laying meat. Like the comedians, a comedian did a whole bit on Subway, and he's like, they're so stingy with that meat. It's like they're laying a twenty down. You know, like, fung, 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 fung. You know, just throwing these dollars down. Anyway, eat fresh. Uh, Pizza Hut. No one out pizzas the hut. No one out pizzas the hut. Wendy's. You know when it's real. Um, so their whole big thing is like, we actually serve real food. Um, Applebee's eating good in the neighborhood. Arby's, we have the meats. You guys almost are finishing these for me. It's so great. We have the meats. Um, took me a long time to figure out like the RB, the letter R and B stands for roast beef. And so it's called Arby's. I mean, they're just clever like that. Uh, Burger King, be your way or have it your way. Dunkin' Donuts, American runs, America runs on Dunkin'. So these slogans are essential in that business model because it relates to what these businesses are doing to set themselves apart from their competitors or it relates to their mission. And I think the mission of all fast food places is they wanna serve their people quickly. And I know some of you are like, yeah, right, quickly. That's uh, a whole deal, but... Uh, that's what they're trying to do with these slogans that we would, when we see, we just know, oh yeah, that's what they're about. And so we continue to make our way through the Gospel of Luke. And let me remind you again why Luke is writing. He's writing, and he's told us this right at the outset in those opening verses. And I think it's good to keep rehearsing that because Luke's not diver- uh, diverting from that purpose throughout the book. So he's not like, well, I'm starting one way, but I wanna finish another. No, right at the outset, he told us that he wants to compose an orderly account so that we may have certainty concerning the things we've been taught about Jesus. That's why he's writing. So if you're gonna put a slogan on what Jesus was coming to do, uh, really so far from what we've seen in the Gospel of Luke, what would be the slogan that he would have? Well, some of you might say, well, it was what, um, what, those, what the angel said to the shepherds in Luke 2. For unto you is born a savior who is Christ the Lord. That would be a great slogan for the Gospel of Luke, um, that Jesus is coming to save. Simeon reiterated that in the middle of chapter two, when he said that God had prepared salvation for all peoples in the arrival of Jesus. So salvation for all. Later in Luke two, Jesus reminded Joseph and Mary that he was all about his father's business. So we could say that in a sense is the mission of Jesus, that he came to save, he was about the Father's business. In Luke three, John the Baptist told us about Jesus' ministry and he told us in almost a terrifying way that he's gonna come and he's gonna baptize us in the Holy Spirit and with fire. 
um, Holy Spirit and fire, that there's something about Jesus coming that is unique. Um, we've seen last time uh, at the end of chapter three into chapter four, how Jesus experienced the Father's delight, how he's human just like we are, how he's, he was tempted to be diverted from the Father's business, but he stayed true to it. He stayed true to the Father's mission. And so we've already had lots going on about Jesus and why he's come and what he's coming to do and how people related to this. So when we come into our passage today, um, that's what we're thinking about. How would you summarize what Jesus was coming to do? Now, we still have a lot of work to do in Luke's gospel. I think uh, we, we had a talk about this on the podcast, the Flipside podcast we record. I think Luke has more words in it um, than any, certainly than any other gospel. And what Luke has written in the New Testament in Luke and Acts is more words than any other author in the New Testament. And so there's a lot of work we still have to do. And so you might be holding out for that and saying, I don't wanna take a guess yet as to what Jesus is up to. And we're gonna have unforgettable moments in the Gospel of Luke, like the parable of the lost son. We're gonna have uh, Mary and Martha and that whole deal of, I just wanna sit at Jesus' feet and one of them's busy. We're gonna have um, the story of Zacchaeus, the wee little man. We talked about that with our students last week. In 19, Luke 19.10, at the conclusion of that Zacchaeus story, Jesus tells us that he came to seek and to save the lost. That's a great summary of what's going on in the Gospel of Luke. But what would this mean for you? Like if he's actually coming to save, if he's actually come to rescue, coming to rescue the lost, do you feel like you need to be rescued? Do you feel like, um, like in what ways do you feel like that's true? Or have you, um, you might say, well, I don't need to be rescued, I've already been rescued. Um, so I, I suspect that there's probably some in this room who are just fine without Jesus interfering in your life. You're just happy to go about your business and Sunday, you know, let's check that box and I don't want Jesus to interfere with my life. And I'm saying he's coming to rescue you. He's coming to rescue you from yourself, from just all the things that would distract you uh, from the eternal things. He's coming to do that. And I think um, another thing that relates to the opening of this passage is religious people make great boasts about what Jesus came to do. So if you're religious, you have all kinds of ideas um, about what Jesus is up to. And so it's easy for someone who knows the Bible to drive a point that this is what Jesus is all about. This is what he's came to do. And sometimes that is clouded by a selfish agenda that we have. So I've experienced this in the church. I've experienced it in good ways. Because remember, like my, my father was a pastor. I grew up in church. Both of my grandfathers were pastors and they would share with me and my family like stories that they were enduring. So I've seen the good, the bad, and the ugly when it comes to church life. And sometimes we think Jesus is about things that are kind of selfishly oriented in the church. Um, and so um, I'm saying all this by way of introduction to say, wouldn't it be awesome if Jesus would just tell us what he was about? That we wouldn't have to like guess, we wouldn't have to get all weird about it, we wouldn't have to cloud it with visions of ourselves or all this confusion. If Jesus would just come out and say, this is what I'm up to, this is what I'm here to do. Well, that's precisely what we get in today's passage. So aren't you anxious just to see, well, I wonder what he's gonna say. I wonder, I wonder if it lines up with what I think. So this is where we're headed. Um, I'm gonna try the, 
to the best of my ability to not spin this any which way as much as just help you see exactly what Jesus is saying. That's my goal. I just want you, I wanna lay out for you. I don't wanna put words in Jesus' mouth. I just want to unpack exactly what he's saying. So if you're skeptical about all that Jesus came to do, then I think this scripture is gonna benefit you. Uh, there's probably some in the room who don't have a relationship with Jesus and you're like, I don't really know about this Jesus guy. Like, I don't know what he's about. And I'm saying this would be a great time for you to listen, peek your, perk your ears up and go, I wonder really what he would have to say about this. Um, others in this room, we can maybe forget all that he came to do. And we've slowly drifted into thinking that the Christian life is about what I want and what I think would be best. And I'm saying that for all of us in this room, it's time for us to bow our knee to the king and listen up to what he wants us to be about. He's laying out the plans. Um, and so I'd encourage you to pause your plans, pause whatever you think, and let's just hear what Jesus has to say about why he came. He's the compelling one. Hearing him might orient you to a life that is higher and better than the one you currently know. It might get you out of, some of you just might feel like you're stuck and uh, just can't get out of this. And I'm saying maybe look to Jesus and listen to his heart of why he came and what he hopes to do. So um, this is all gonna be helpful for us. So I invite you to join me as we, see, as we hear three words that summarize Jesus. Um, can you even spit it out? Three words that summarize Jesus' mission. So those are the, gonna be the three blanks that you fill. Now, I'm calling my outline three words, and then I have something and then a big explanation of that because I want you to know exactly what we're talking about in your outline. So three words, though, that summarize Jesus' mission. So let's read Luke 4, verses 14 through 30, and then as we usually do at the end of the reading, I'll say this is God's word, and if you feel led, you can just say thanks be to God as a, a gratefulness to God for what we have in his word. So beginning in Luke 4, 14, follow along with me as I read. And Jesus returned in the power of the Spirit to Galilee, and a report about him went out through all the surrounding country, and he taught in their synagogues, being glorified by all. So that's a great summary statement. And he came to Nazareth, where he had been brought up, and as was his custom, he went to the synagogue on the Sabbath day, and he stood up to read, and the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him. He unrolled the scroll and found the place where it was written, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovery of, recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And he rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant and sat down. And the eyes of all in the synagogue were fixed on him. And he began to say to them, today this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. <laughs> And all who spoke well of him and marveled at the gracious words that were coming out of his mouth, um, all were marveling and spoke well of that. And they said, is this not Joseph's son? And he said to them, doubtless you will quote to me this proverb, physician, heal yourself. What we have heard you did in Capernaum, do here in your hometown as well. And he said, truly I say to you, no prophet is acceptable in his hometown. But in truth, I tell you, there were many widows in Israel in the days of Elijah, when the heavens were shut up three years and six months and a great famine came over all the land and Elijah was sent to none of them, but only to Zarephath in the land of Sidon to a woman who was a widow. And there were many lepers in, Israel's, in Israel in the time of the prophet Elisha and none of them was cleansed, but only Naaman the Syrian. 
And when they heard these things, all in the synagogue were filled with wrath. And they rose up and drove him out of the town and brought him to the brow of the hill on which their town was built so that they could throw him down the cliff. But passing through their midst, he went away. This is God's word. Thanks be to God. So three words that summarize Jesus' mission, and you can see how it gets dicey. Um, So three words that summarize Jesus' mission. And the first word is an announcement. An announcement. So Jesus told us what he came to do. So I guess the first word is announcement, and then the blank is told. Sorry, I messed that up when I explained it earlier. Jesus told us what he came to do. And that's really seen in verses 14 through 19. So Jesus' ministry begins like this. I mean, we've seen a lot about Jesus already in the Gospel of Luke, but now it's publicly bursting on the scene. So think of all that's happened so far in the Gospel of Luke as the long winter that we're experiencing. And some of you are saying like, is spring ever gonna get here? And I'm saying the days of the winter are numbered. It's gonna probably be 110 in the summer. And some of you are gonna be like, yes. And you're gonna be ripping your shirt off and oh, the sun, you know, it's gonna be great. And uh, this, all that we've seen so far in the Gospel of Luke is like the winter before the spring comes. And now the spring is coming. Uh, the real work is beginning. So, and it starts in Nazareth where Jesus grew up and the people know him. So Jesus regularly went to the synagogue and he was invited to read. So he's given a scroll from Isaiah and he reads Isaiah 61, a passage associated with the coming king the people of Israel to, were to expect. And what we see is that this gives us certainty about who Jesus is. When Jesus says, this is what I came to do, we, we have certainty, like there's no doubt in our minds about what Jesus came to do. And we're told here that he's a prophet. He's a prophet. The spirit had anointed Jesus to proclaim. And he was proclaiming good news to people experiencing poverty. He was proclaiming liberty to captives. He was announcing the recovery of sight to people who are blind. He declared the year of Jubilee, the year of the Lord's favor. And all the words that Isaiah used Um, they have both like a physical and a spiritual connotation in the scriptures, don't they? So the physical, obviously, Jesus is proclaiming hope for those who are materially poor, who who feel like they're under-resourced in this world. And all those who have money get all the advantages. Jesus is giving them hope. Um, For people who are imprisoned, um, just like in our day and age, there's people in the first century world who were imprisoned wrongfully And Jesus is giving them hope. He's giving them uh, confidence. People had blind eyes and debilitating physical conditions as Jesus is coming and saying, "Um, I'm the hope. You're gonna find hope in me physically. Um, Those who who were oppressed and needed released. Jubilee meant that the debts would be forgiven and those in dire straits would be helped. That's what the law said that the year of Jubilee should do. And Jesus is saying, I'm here. The year of the Lord's favor is now. And so all kinds of people are gonna be helped because of this. If you look at the history of the church, uh, Jesus has always worked through his people to be at the front lines of supporting materially poor. So organizations, you can even think in our community, like the Salvation Army, it started out of the impulse of Christians who wanted to serve the materially poor in our community. Um, Identifying with prisoners. There's all kinds of ministries that relate to that. Coming alongside people with physical disorders. Christians have been at the front lines of these things, helping the oppressed. Um, Jesus stood up for the marginalized and we get the opportunity to do that as well. We're stepping into his work when we do those things. 
There's also spiritual components like liberty. So in Luke's gospel, whenever you encounter like liberty, it's often associated with the forgiveness of sins. So the spiritually poor are given hope in Jesus. Those in captivity to sinful patterns, they find liberty in him. Those who are spiritually blind and can't see spiritual realities get sight in Jesus. Those oppressed spiritually find freedom in him. Um, the year of the Lord's favor is here. And why is the year of the Lord's favor here? Because Jesus is here. That's what he's making known to us. <coughs> so sorry, I've been dealing with the crud the last week too, like you all. So that's why I brought my water bottle up, which I should probably use. Somebody said, why don't people just drink water? Well, here's the answer. So part of what Jesus, um, the prophet is proclaiming is the truth that he's the Christ. So Jesus is coming and telling us what he came to do. He's telling us he's a prophet. And part of the role of telling us that he's a prophet is, is letting us know that he's the Christ. Now, I know I summarize this often and it's because I grew up in church seeing a bunch of words and I'm like, what is going on with this? So like we sang the word hallelujah, it just means praise to God. Um, when we see the word Christ, we may not realize what's being communicated. So when we see Jesus Christ, Jesus is his name and Christ is his title. So he's the Christ, he's the Messiah, he's the king, he's the anointed one. That's what Christ is symbolizing. It's not like his last name, like I grew up thinking in church. Um, and we see all that Jesus does in Luke's gospel, his heart for the poor, his heart for those who are enslaved, for those who are physically hurting, those needing spiritual help, like their sins being forgiven and their lives change. All those things can happen and they have like tread. They're able to, we're able to see him help those things because he's the Christ. He is the anointed one. He's the Messiah. He's the chosen one. Um, in, in Luke 1, Mary prayed the Magnificat. We looked at that and she praises God for sending one with Messiah-like work. So let me remind you of like what she prayed in praise to God for what was happening when Jesus came. My soul magnifies the Lord. My spirit rejoices in God, my savior, for he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. For behold, from now on, all generations will call me blessed. He who is mighty has done great things for me and holy is his name. His mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. He's shown strength with his arm. He's scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He's brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. He's filled the hungry with good things and the rich he has sent away empty. He's helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and to his offspring forever. This is what Jesus is doing as the Christ. He's in his ministry and throughout this book, everything the world values is turned upside down because Jesus' kingdom is not of this world. So the rich are gonna be sent away empty. The hungry are gonna be filled. Proud people are gonna be brought low. The humble people are the ones who are exalted. Everything is different because Jesus is the king. And Jesus' ministry does this. He's the Christ. So Jesus' ministry begins with this announcement. He will come and do things that aren't in keeping with the norm. And he's telling us he's gonna do those things. He's laying it out. Like, this is what I'm coming to do. Well, the second word that sums up Jesus' ministry is not only announcement, but a fulfillment. Jesus fulfilled his ministry. 
He fulfilled his ministry. In verses 20 to 24, back in our text, he rolls up the scroll. So um, like they say, you could almost hear an announcer, like let's say it's Morgan Freeman saying, and things are getting, fixing to get real here in Nazareth. You know, the things are about to get real here in Nazareth when we get to verse 20. Because it's one thing to say, hey, this is what Isaiah said the king would do. And I just want you all to know that. So it's one thing to say that. And everybody in the room is going, oh yeah, we can't wait for that king to come. This is gonna be awesome. So we, will, we, we might wanna read all that Jesus said as like a dreamy hope of, you know, if things work out, maybe someday God's gonna send us this kind of person. But beginning with verse 20, that's not what Jesus says at all. After his announcement, he rolls up the scroll, gives it to the attendant and sits down. Everybody's looking at him like, come on, what's going on here? And he said something to them. Today, this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. Today, like at this moment, there's a certainty and a confidence that Jesus has, that Jesus embodies, that Jesus lives. And he says, it's fulfilled today. That's an incredible statement. Jesus is stating that he is the living embodiment of what Isaiah said. So what I just said in that first point about what the Christ would do, what Jesus says he would do, he's saying, that's what I'm doing. Um, so in verse 22, we see that all were speaking well of him. They were marveling at the gracious words that were coming out of his mouth. So I think on one level, we need to see this as a scene full of grace to us, that he is communicating reality to you and me. Um, but things change when we see that he's not just giving us like some, he's not just a regular person with lofty ambitions. He's, when we see him as the king, the promised one, the chosen one, and he's making this claim that he's fulfilled all of this. He consistently has embodied this in everything he said and in what he did. Um, I mean, this is a different deal. He's fulfilled this, really? Um, if, again, if you just look through the Gospel of Luke and you just skim through it, he's not only taught things consistent with this announcement, but he's also like backed it up with skills. Like if you read through the pages of the Gospel of Luke, you're gonna see the exact things that we're talking about that he just announced. That the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he's anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. We're gonna see that. Jesus is consistently going after the poor. He sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives. Jesus is gonna be doing that in people's lives. He's gonna unfold all this. He's gonna give sight to the blind. He's gonna set at liberty those who are oppressed. He's gonna be doing this throughout. I mean, again, a great story that is just on my mind because I taught it last weekend to students is this Luke 19 with Zacchaeus. We see all that. You know, Zacchaeus was rich, taking from poor people. And Jesus walks in and completely turns Zacchaeus' life upside down where um, all that he had wrongfully done to treat people, now he returns it because Jesus had changed his life. And Jesus is saying, yeah, that's what I've come. I've come to seek and save the lost. I've come to change people's lives in this way so that the poor are helped, so that those who are blind can see. I mean, this is what he's done. So Jesus is not only helping individuals, but I think he's exposing systems that put people down. Like we see that with the woman with the issue of blood so that this daughter in the faith could not only be made whole with her physical condition, but she could also be made whole spiritually. She's welcomed back into the community. I mean, this is a glorious thing that he's doing. 
And we're gonna see this over and over again in the coming verses. If, if, we, if you look at the text of where we're gonna end up next week, at the end of chapter four, in the first part of chapter five, you're gonna see these very things coming true. Over and over and over again, the gospel plays out this good news. That Jesus not only is saying that he came to do something, he's actually done it. He's fulfilled it. He's like accomplished it. Jesus has come and he's actually fulfilled all that he came to do in his ministry. And so it's great for us to be able to look at that. And that's one reason why we're in the gospel of Luke because we wanna see, we want his heart. We wanna walk in this way. Well, this leads to the third and final word uh, that give us a sense of Jesus' mission and is, is an invitation. Jesus invites us to accept him. In verses 25 to 30, uh, we see that play out where Jesus gets into all this uh, hairiness. Um, I didn't finish the phrase in the middle of uh, verse 22. Someone starts catching onto the smell. Like this guy's the Messiah, he's the Christ. Wait, wait a second. Like, isn't this Joseph's son? I mean, he's not all that. We know his dad. We know his daddy. Like, this is not the Messiah. Like, this is the guy that um, worked with the carpenter. I mean, he's the Messiah. This is what people are saying. This is what Nazareth is. And I think partly it feels like that, like, that, like this is Nazareth we're talking about. We're not talking about Rome. We're not talking about that he's risen up from Alexandria or something like Alexander the Great, you know. He, he's not risen up from Jerusalem. That's where we might expect the king of the Jews to be raised up from in David's city that he had built. You know, we're not, we're talking about Nazareth. And this question shows the sad reality of Jesus being rejected by those who are familiar with him. So Jesus tells this proverb, physician, heal, heal yourself. In other words, if you are who you say you are, prove it. You know, do, do some magic for us. Do some healing for us so we can see it. They had already heard of some of the wonders that Jesus had done in a neighboring town in Capernaum, but they wanted those signs where they were. Like, in other words, like, if you're the Christ, then you're gonna do that same thing here in the same way. And Jesus pointed to a principle that no prophet is acceptable in his hometown. And it's, it's a worthy point for us in the church to wrestle with. Um, are we so familiar with Jesus that we miss him? Like, are we Jesus' hometown? And when Jesus speaks, we're like, oh yeah, that's just Jesus. <laughs> Have we lost the wonder of who he is? Have we lost the wonder of what happens when he speaks and when he does what he does? I think we're tempted with the same thing. Um, again, growing up in church, um, that was my experience. So growing up in church, appreciating him or attending church isn't just those things in and of themselves isn't where life happens, where life change happens. Life change happens as we go all in and believe in Jesus. We actually apply who he is to our lives. And the way we apply that scripturally is through belief. We trust him, we lean into him. So are you leaning into him and all the certainty that you have about him? Or are you saying, well, I know he probably wants me to live this way, but 
oh, it's going to be so inconvenient, so I'm going to do this. Um, maybe you're pushing him away, refusing to embrace the certainty that is found in him. That's the tension. That's what's going on in Nazareth. These people are like, he can't be the Christ. Like, we know his dad. We know how he grew up. You know, he got caught at recess wrestling that one guy that one day. Remember that? You know, all this stuff. Like, I'm trying to think of an example that makes him human that um, doesn't put him in sin. Like, he, you know, Jesus had grown up like a child in that town. He had probably been singing or doing something or being loud. And they're like, hey, calm down, you know, or something. I mean, this, he was a child. Everybody knew him. And that clouded them from being able to see who he really was. And I'm saying in the church, as we sing about him and as we go through all the motions that we normally do, we can easily miss him. We can easily take for granted that we're walking in and encountering him together as a family. So let's not do that. Let's, let's make sure we're not missing him. Let's make sure he's not rejected by those who are familiar with him. And because these homies, and I'm calling them homies because <laughs> they're from Nazareth and they know his background, they're like his closest friends maybe know his background. These homies rejected Jesus in Nazareth. So because of that, he's gonna be sent to those who will receive him. He's gonna be sent to those who are far off. So Jesus quotes a couple of memorable examples from Israel's history when Elijah and Elisha, Elisha were prophets in Israel. In Elijah's day, there was a great need as a famine came over the land, but the Israelites missed seeing God do amazing things. And they missed this, like the prophet went to this widow in Zarephath in Sidon. So the great things that God was doing was sent to someone who would believe them. Or in Elisha's day, no lepers were cleansed in Israel, at least that are recorded in scripture. But Naaman from Syria was, remember, go wash in the Jordan seven times and then you'll be clean. Why him? Well, because he's the one who's gonna believe, nobody in Israel. So in other words, these far off people believed. The insiders were wrathful at the end of this. They tried to take Jesus outside the town and throw him off a cliff, but Jesus was able to escape their plans. Now I know nobody in this room thinks they would be culpable of throwing Jesus off the cliff, but don't you really do that when you discount him? Don't you really do that when he says something and you're like, he doesn't really mean that. You're just basically taking him and throwing him off a cliff. Like he's not the Christ to me. He's not my Lord because it's just optional. You know, it's optional. No big deal. We can just, yeah, take it or leave it. Oh, this doesn't work for me. Okay. And we're just throwing him off the cliff. <laughs> so I'm making this case because I think sometimes we are so familiar, like, oh, I would never do that. Yeah, you would. And so would I tomorrow if I don't get my way. You know, I, um, so we have to have tender hearts. We have to keep leaning into Jesus and saying, I trust you. I trust you more than I trust myself because you're the Christ. I'm going all in with you. I'm leaning in. You've told me what you came to do. You've announced that. You've actually fulfilled it. You back it up with deeds. And now you've invited me in. Am I gonna lean in and accept the invitation or am I gonna lean out and say, excuse me, nobody's gonna tell me what to do. Can Jesus, can you lean into him? So don't resist him. Don't reject his plans. So I think in this passage, for instance, like we, we see Jesus talking about 
proclaiming good news to the poor, and some of you are just uncomfortable with that language. Helping the poor, that's beneath me. They need to get jobs and get life together, and then, you know, I think they'd be worthy of help. And Jesus doesn't add all those caveats. He just wants us to help people. It's not, it's not beneath our Lord. And of course, there's wisdom along the way here. Um, but Jesus is calling us to deeper living and practices. And loving people who are far off is part of the work. There's all kinds of people around us who are far off. And maybe Jesus has come for them because insiders like us are too clouded to embrace him. We're stiff-arming him. And he's saying, okay, well, I'll go to people that actually need me. So, this is seen throughout this, past, uh, throughout this book. We're gonna see Jesus sending out people. He's gonna send out the 12. He's gonna send out 72. He's gonna send his followers. He's gonna send his church. And what's he sending them to do? This type of stuff that he just outlines right here. Connecting what Jesus announced to what he fulfilled leads to an invitation. Will we be about his mission to all kinds of people? Will we embrace him? Will we lean in and trust him? Or will we try to do things our own way? And I think in this room today, probably there's people who feel like they're far off. You might think you don't measure up to Jesus or you don't measure up to religious culture. Uh, you may think I'm not worthy of him. You might feel enslaved. You might not even be able to see him for what he is. You might be oppressed in some way by a sin or by somebody. There might be oppression coming to you. And Jesus is coming to free you. That's what makes this such good news. Like the good news is not good news for many of us. It's like, well, that's, you know, somebody needs that. Do you need it? Like I woke up this morning thinking, man, there's really good news that we're celebrating today. We get to celebrate this good news, but we forget that it is good news. And so will you come to him? Will you come to him? If you're far off, just come to him. He came for people like you and me. So three words that summarize Jesus' mission. That's what we've seen today in conclusion. Jesus told us what he came to do. He gave an announcement. He gave a fulfillment. He fulfilled his ministry and he gave an invitation. He invites us to accept him. So on one level, this, this sermon is so simple. It's Jesus is just announcing, I'm gonna do this. And then he's saying he did it. And then he's saying, will you trust me? Because we have certainty about him. So have you done that? Have you turned to him from other ways? Have you received him as the Lord of your life? And by that, what I mean is, is Jesus the compelling storyline of all that you're doing, of all that you're pursuing, of all that you're desiring? Is Jesus the storyline? So again, the Bible connects accepting Jesus with believing in him. So to those who accept him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. And we're inviting you to believe this, to trust him, to lean in. Um, the reason some people are so wrathful toward Jesus, they can't stand it. They're, they're just, ugh. Jesus, are you kidding me? Like, they're just wrenching their teeth. The reason they're that way, even in this story, is because they don't, they just quite simply don't want to believe him. They don't want to trust him. So how about you? Do you trust him enough to follow him as your Lord and Savior? So embrace him, and I think you'll experience the freedom that he's offering in this passage. 
And many of us know these are, these are fundamental, even rudimentary things. I think some of you in this room are thinking, like, do we really need a sermon on this? We got it. Um, we understand what Jesus has said, and that's great. We know what he did. We've accepted him as true. But we have all kinds of allegiances and distractions that keep us from these priorities that he's outlining here. So some of us are more concerned about following social norms than we are about what Jesus told us to do. Suppose Jesus says that his way is the way to liberation and jubilee. Do we believe that? What if it gets at odds with politics and caring for people? What if those things come into odds? What are we gonna choose? Um, so in this case, um, we have understanding. I think it helps us understand why so many people lack joy or they find like the invitation to serve Jesus as a straitjacket that hinders rather than a freedom that benefits others because we've lost sight of what Jesus, who Jesus is and what he came to do. So we don't, it, it involves just tuning our hearts back to Jesus and what he's doing, what he said. It's always gonna affect your soul when you turn your heart to Jesus. When you look to him and just say, okay, I give up. It's you, I need you, change me. When you do that, life change is coming. It's gonna provoke a loosening of our hold on what we hold dear so that we can be about what Jesus holds dear with confidence and certainty. So we need to receive this message as truth from God himself. Knowing Jesus changes things because it draws us to help others know him. So let's step into Jesus' mission that we might glorify and enjoy him forever. Let's pray. So Father, we are so thankful for you sending your son. We're thankful for Jesus perfectly keeping that to the very end, that he never wavered, um, even in the garden. When it seems like he's wavering, he's just saying, not my will, but yours be done. And we are so thankful uh, that Jesus is telling us today what he came to do, that he's actually doing it, he's fulfilling it, and um, inviting us in. And so might we lean into him and not lean away. Might we lean in even um, when it seems bewildering to us, even when it seems like more than we can understand, might we lean into him and might we experience all the blessings that he promises here, like good news to the poor and liberty to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind and liberty to the oppressed might we experience the year of the Lord's favor as Jesus has come and our jubilee has arrived. Might we rest in him. So um, that's gonna take some heart work that I can't do, but Jesus, it's heart work that you can do real easily. And so would you do that in this room? Would you humble us all under your lordship and under your subversive kingdom um, would you change hearts and change lives in this room? Would we experience that and see you for who you are? Um, so Spirit, we need your help to come. Bring conviction where that's needed. Bring assurance where that's needed. Bring comfort where that's needed. All that's in keeping with how you operate. 
we ask you to work in this way, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, that the Son might be glorified. And so um, just turn hearts to him. God, turn hearts to him today. And we ask all of this in Jesus' name.